How is AI and automation changing marketing? And what should you do about it? With Mike Rhodes. The Strategic Marketing Show is brought to you by Insights for Professionals, providing access to the latest industry insights from trusted brands, all in a customized, tailored experience. Find out more over at insightsforprofessionals.com. Hey, it's David. We're constantly hearing endless reports of how we should just trust paid ad platforms to deliver the right ads in the right places and how you can now trust content to be written by AI. But where should you draw the line? What should you automate and what shouldn't you automate? That's what we're going to be discussing today with a man who co-authored The Ultimate Guide to Google Ads with Perry Marshall, the world's best-selling book on Google Ads with over 140,000 sales. He's spoken on four continents at hundreds of conferences, clocked up over two decades in the digital marketing industry, and is CEO and founder of the award-winning Melbourne-based digital agency, Web Savvy. A warm welcome to the Strategic Marketing Show, Mike Rhodes. Thank you, David. Thanks for inviting me on. Pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for coming on, Mike. Well, you can find Mike over at websavvy.com.au. So, uh, Mike, where is the line between not, not, not enough automation and too much automation? It's funny, isn't it, how just the world has, I don't know about your feeds, but my feeds are just full of chat GPT these past few weeks. And yet it isn't new technology. It's just a new moment where suddenly it became easy for everybody to play with AI. So easy that my nine-year-old the other night had it write her a bedtime story. And the technology has been around as Google reminded us in their press release last week. We invented this. Everybody else is just using technology that we thought of. Um, Where's the line? I like to think of these tools as really good first draft creators. You know, the hardest thing about writing is writing that first draft. It's that blank page or that blank whiteboard behind me and starting. So having an intern, an assistant, a co-pilot, be able to give you a bunch of ideas, things that maybe you wouldn't have thought of, not relying on it to write the whole thing, whether we're talking about a, a blog post or a product description or a job ad, but using an AI tool, for instance, to write that first draft for you is incredibly useful but where the line is is well the way i've been explaining this for a few years now is look at the image creation things you may have seen this person does not exist.com which i think was 2018 that's how advanced machines creating images were now we kind of take it for granted after dali mid journey stable and all those others that we can write a text prompt and out will pop this incredible image and they are incredible but i think people that are trying to with the perfect amazing prompt create that one image i think that's missing the point the idea is to play with it to iterate with it and if you find on YouTube, there are some wonderful time-lapse videos of a really good graphic designer going back and forth and keeping part of an image and in painting an area and changing a piece and da, da, da. And maybe that takes two, three, four hours to do really, really well. That's the same thing, the same mindset we should be applying to the writing side. It's not one perfect prompt is going to give you this instant like rewrite 10,000 product descriptions for my website, here's my list of 10,000 products, off you go. That's a good first draft, 
But then as humans, we need to bring what we bring to the table and not just take that cut, paste and go use it because otherwise the interwebs are just going to become a blurry facsimile of itself as this AI rewrites things created by AI and it all gets very, very messy. I'm not sure if I answered your question somewhere in there. But things are obviously changing very, very quickly. And uh, as you mentioned, um, the image search engine that you talked about first um, established itself in 2018. So that's five years ago from the point of recording. We're recording this in February 2023. And now we're at a point where the content, the written content and imagery generated by AI is, is, is quite incredible. However, you're saying view it as a first draft. How long do you think um, we'll be utilising AI like that, uh, i.e. using it for a first draft and not just relying on it to create and, and publish content on your behalf without checking it? Well, there is a great line, and I forget it in a moment, of um, how the future is best left to the crystal balls or something. There is a wonderful line. I should learn it about that. I don't predict the future. I have no idea that the best AI experts, of which I am not one, cannot agree on where this technology is going and how fast it's getting there. And there are a lot of calls, I think rightly so, for it to slow down, which it won't. And for us all to take a step back and sort of be a little bit concerned by just how fast this is wandering off in a bunch of different directions. But it won't slow down because the competitive advantages and the moats to be built are too big. But how long before it does too much? Well, people are inherently lazy. And I remember reading about Davos three years ago. All they were talking about apparently was RPA, Robotic Process Automation. Big, big business just want efficiency, 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 push costs down, more, more, more. And if we can squeeze a little bit more out if those businesses can, then they're going to. And okay, if the quality is only 98% or 95 I don't know where that line is. If it's 80%, will they accept it? Does it need to be 98% as good as the humans? And of course, the machine is getting better all the time. Compute is getting faster and better all the time. Power is getting cheaper. I was listening this morning to a piece on the way in about how at the moment the cost of, say, ChatGPT is about an order of magnitude above the cost for Google of running a search. That's going to come down. How quickly? Don't know. Certainly within five years, you would think. Within two, maybe. And that's a massive threat to Google. And marketing is going to change as a result of all of this. We've already seen, I mean, BuzzFeed, I believe their share price went up three times the other day when they said they were going to use GPT technology to write a lot of the content. And I mean, that's all they do, right? They're just this massive content farm. And people coming out with these tools to see if content was created by an AI or not is missing the point because all content will be partially created by AI and partially by humans. And some will be more so. Financial reports and uh, sports reviews have been written purely by AI for many, many years now because that's structured data that's easy for a machine to sort of wrap its head around. But we think we're such special snowflakes. We think that, oh, but the thing I'm writing is completely different. A machine wouldn't be able to do that. And yet, we go to school and we learn writing frameworks. If you want to write a sales letter for a website, there are half a dozen or more different frameworks that you can apply, but they're all very similar. And a machine that has ingested hundreds of millions of pages of copy that use those frameworks 
can figure out what those frameworks are and get very, very good. And of course, we're all using 100 million people are using ChatGPT now. So we're all, all training the machine to get better and better and better. It's going to happen, right? I don't know when and I don't know what that curve looks like, but we're going to be using it more and more because we are inherently lazy and everybody above us in every organization is going to be saying, I want more for less. There was a great video, I'm not sure if you've seen it, I think it just came out, a uh, mate of mine, Alex Hormozzi, challenged his entire team to replace themselves using AI. It's a crazy full-on video, as Alex is a little crazy and full-on, but he just goes bang, 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 bang through nine different tools of how his team are now using this, and he puts out 250 pieces of content a day using these tools. You're essentially saying that... Um to create the optimum quality content nowadays, you can still use AI as the, the initial version of the content, but you need that editorial view, that um, human to go in there and um, create an amended version to best compete with what else is out there and ensure that your content's a little bit more differentiated. Other tools out there that have used automation slash AI for a number of years um, include Google Ads in that um, it used to be five to ten years ago that you would simply manually create your ad, manually select your keywords for targeting. But now, um, over the last few years, Google have encouraged you just to trust the machines. Is trusting the machines for ad platforms like that the most efficient, optimized strategy nowadays? That's a very good question. It is the most efficient for them, right? I don't work for Google. We're an agency, we help businesses use those platforms. How Google have incentivized agencies like ours all over the world is by, eh, forcing is a hard word, but kind of forcing us to play the game the way they want it played. So they can see huge efficiencies in using all of these tools. So the way I used to describe it, I used to draw a pyramid and let's put it into three layers. Across the bottom is bidding, in the middle we have targeting and at the top we have messaging. Those are the three main levels that you have uh, with any digital marketing, but certainly inside of Google Ads and then the whole thing rests on data. And I used to say the robots are coming up from the bottom. Bidding, that's just a big maths problem, right? Machines can do that better, faster than us. Smart bidding has been the norm, I would say, for at least two years now give that one to the machines. Targeting used to be kind of, well, yeah, we can add things. The machine knows a lot about everybody, but the machine has pretty much won that one. Five years ago, I stood on stage and said, messaging, that's the safe bit. Go learn persuasive copywriting, I said. And got that one wrong because we've just seen that the machine can write a pretty decent piece of persuasive copy. It's rewriting ads, it's writing product descriptions, it's writing entire essays, it's writing people's code and Dr. Zeus poems and song lyrics. You know, it's the creative side has, that's what's surprised everybody, even though GPT-3 came out three, two and a half, three years ago and did much the same. It is better now and the UI has made it really, really popular. But Google have seen the dollars basically in front of their eyes, I think, and gone, well, this is much better for us. How do we get everybody using this? And so they've kind of forced the game. They, I don't know how down in the weeds and tactical you want to go here, but they changed the ads from a block of ads, you know, 
couple of headlines, block of text, to an ad that is made up from all of these little bits. The machine then decides which of those little bits to put together in the moment when somebody is searching based on everything that the machine knows about that person. It's going to pull four or five of those little bits together and display that ad to the human. Why is it doing that? Because it can mix and match. There's no such thing as the best ad anymore. It's what's the best ad for that person right now in this particular moment in time based on everything we know about them. So the Google have forced us to use their AI in all of these different layers. Now, right now, they still allow us to write those bits of ads, but for how longer? How much longer? You know, it, they could easily incorporate their own version, which had a horrible demo last week at the time of recording, um, but they could easily incorporate their version of a chat GPT, Bard, or whatever they're going to call it, and DeepMind's Sparrow, and put that in the interface where you write your ad. Or just write the ad for us and say, click here to approve this ad, let us get on with it. You know, Google want to get to the point where here's your credit card, and plug in your accounting system at the other end and leave everything in the middle to us. We'll figure it out. But obviously, we're all a bit scared of doing that. <laughs> so just as you've been sharing that, I've just asked ChatGTP to write a poem about marketing in the style of Dr. Zeus. <laughs> the first, Dr. Zeus. <laughs> first four lines. Marketing or marketing, what a funny game. With advertisements, promotions, it's all the same. From billboards to flyers to TV shows so bright, marketing is everywhere, day and night. And it carries on. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's quite incredible. The thing that is so incredible to me, though, is you could put that exact same prompt in again, or I could put that exact same prompt in, and something different will come out. Because it's not following rules. It's a probabilistic, it's a statistical model. So it's running a whole bunch of scenarios in the background and trying to predict what the next word in that rhyme should be. And so every time you run it, well, not every time, but most times you run it, you're going to get something different to what you've gone before. And so... Yes, you talked about editorial before. You know, the human still needs to step in and, well, actually, what's the type of thing that we do want to say? What's our point of view on this? What's our philosophy around this? And I read a fascinating piece. It was actually in The New Yorker, which is not a thing I normally read. It just makes me sound very posh. But I read this thing in The New Yorker over the weekend about a bug in a Xerox photocopying machine years and years ago that was photocopying things and changing things. And it was basically saying... I'll try and summarize it. I haven't said this out loud before, but ChatGPT is kind of a blurry photocopy of the web. And yes, it can write a great first draft, but if you sit down to write not knowing what you're going to write, then the end piece probably isn't going to be very good. What a really good writer does is you sit down and you, you go through those first drafts. You write a lot and writing is editing, right? And you hone that piece and you pull out like, you know, David and the stone and the statue, you, you take away what's unnecessary and you leave what was there. I'm not a great writer. I don't think like that in those writing terms. But it made sense to me that a great writer has this thing that they want to write. And in order to pull that out, they have to write all of this other stuff. And if we're teaching our kids just to stick a prompt in, you know, there's my essay, they're not going through the process of thinking about their writing so I'm, I'm conflicted now. I've been thinking of it as a great first draft assistant. I name, down in ChatGPT, you know how you can name, you just pulled it up and, and wrote your Dr. Zeus poem. 
you've had the ability to save those down the left-hand side. Got this from my mate, Justin Brooke. Yes, yes. Most people just plug in something and start again and, oh, it's a new day, or maybe they'll name it by the day of the week or something. I actually name mine. I've got a JavaScript copilot, a Google Ads script copilot, a headline writing copilot, and I name those chats down the side and I've set them up at the beginning with a prompt and told the machine how to act. And then each time I go back to that named chat and I can just carry on. And I'm basically training it to become a really good one of those. So you could name that chat Dr. Zeus creator and each time you went back to it, it would kind of pick up where you left off. So businesses could use this for product descriptions at scale. Yes, writing bits of ad at scale, landing pages. I probably wouldn't use it for press releases yet, but blog posts, I use it for blog writing. I use it to get ideas around the topic I want to write about and then to brainstorm titles and then outlines and then maybe to write some paragraphs. I asked it the other day to give me a slide presentation for a 50-minute talk. I told it what the topic was. I told it who the audience was and sort of gave it some ideas. Maybe took me a minute or two to set that up and out popped 50 lines. This slide, introduction, two slides, boom, boom. Then talk about why, five slides, boom, 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 boom. And it gave me the whole deck, basically, in a matter of seconds. Can you think of a brand or an industry sector that are actually using automation or AI effectively at the moment? I can't think of many that aren't, frankly, but um, we have a client that is in the apparel business, I will say. They specialize in apparel for plus-size women. And in Australia, at least, there are very, very few plus-size models. And so it's very hard for them to book a shoot. It's expensive. There's long delays. So they're experimenting with an AI tool where you load in a, a flat picture of the garment and then you can experiment. The machine will show that on various images of various people. Now, too early to tell if that is going to work for them. They haven't put any of that live yet. But we're on this exponential curve, right? We as linear beings are not very good at thinking about exponentials. And there will come a point where we can't tell the difference. I, you, I'm not sure if I mentioned it before, but you may have seen a website called This Person Does Not Exist. Yeah. And you hit refresh and you hit refresh and you hit refresh. And that image looks exactly indistinguishable from a photograph of a person most of the time. Sometimes it goes a bit skew-whiff, but most of the time it's amazing. So to then do a full body shot of a person, you know, once they get the fingers right, because most of the time they get the fingers wrong in a lot of these images, but then there'll be an AI that specializes just in fixing the fingers on the AI-created image, you know. They will use that. There's robotic process automation that will watch what you do and how you do a task and then learn just purely by watching. Businesses that collect data from the tasks that the humans have done and said, when presented with this, the human did that. When presented with this, the human did that. You collect enough of those, that's trivial to then feed that into a machine and say, okay, here's the new thing, what should you do? But if you ever saw a book called Principles by Ray Dalio. Yes. Came out. A few years ago. First half was wonderful, second half, skip it. In the first half of the book, he talks about how back in the 70s or 80s, what they did as a trading firm was to create 
a machine algorithm, a series of steps for all of their trades. But the critical thing that they did differently to anybody else was to then run the two systems in parallel, the human and the machine. And every time those two spat out some kind of difference, whenever the human and the machine differed on what that trade should be, and they compared them. Because maybe the human's having a bad day, maybe they didn't follow their own rules, or maybe, actually, they were brilliant, but there's something in that decision that they haven't yet built into the algorithm. And so they would then either tweak the algorithm or tell the human to take the rest of the day off, they're having a bad day, you go home, let the computer take this one. And they tweaked and tweaked and tweaked that algorithm for 40 years, and they became one of the largest hedge funds in the world. If a computer, if a, if a business, sorry, can start to think like that now, how do we start to create an algorithm of the steps of something that we do, and then compare that to what the humans do, and then let's compare and tweak around the edges? The algorithm may not be needed very soon. The machine will write its own algorithm given enough data. That's what machine learning essentially is. The machine writes the code instead of us telling the machine what to do. You don't tell it how to recognize a cat. You give it 10,000 images of a cat and 10,000 images of not cat, and it will figure out what a cat is and what a cat isn't most of the time, at least as well as a human can. So if you can allow it to watch you work, let, give it access to your Gmail, and it'll go look at all your past emails, it will learn the style that you tend to reply to emails in. Feed it a new email that you need to reply to, and it will give you a pretty decent response. And there's lots of AI tools like that popping up at the moment. You know, Google have for a while been completing our sentences. These new tools will, will write the whole thing. And yeah, they won't be perfect, but they'll be pretty good and they'll keep getting better. Let's um, move on for the final question, um, from thinking about automation and AI, just to thinking about marketing in general. So what would you say is the number one thing that marketers need to incorporate into their strategy? I would love to see more. Well, I think marketers get this. It's maybe the level above them that, that doesn't give this enough credence. But, and it's probably frustrating a lot of marketers everywhere right now. But I don't think enough businesses really value data. One question I love asking C-suite is where does data sit on your balance sheet? Do you really value data? Is it on the balance sheet? Because to be an AI company, well, this may have changed. I've been saying this line for five years, but maybe it changed a bit recently. But to be an AI company, you first need to be an analytics company. To be an analytics company, you have to value data. And most businesses don't. They maybe don't understand how to turn data into dollars. So. They just assume data is this geeky thing that lives off in the corner and maybe somebody in the marketing department can just turn that Excel sheet into some insights for us. But that really should be at all levels of the business. And I think marketing in particular is still one of those corners of the business that's mostly run on gut and, uh, and not enough data. I've been your host, David Bain. You can find Mike Rhodes over at websavvy.com.au. Mike. Thanks so much for being on the Strategic Marketing Show. Thank you, David. And thank you for listening. Here at IFP, our goal is simple. To connect you with the most relevant information to help solve your business problems all in one place. InsightsforProfessionals.com.